Well, we've seen in recent years the fall of so many church leaders. It seems almost every couple of months there's a new scandal around some esteemed church leader. And it's caused tremendous pain in so many of these victims' lives, and it's caused a lot of issues, trust issues within churches and church leadership. But what I find really striking about all these examples of leaders who have fallen from their pedestals is that they're seen as really awesome leaders right up until the moment that they're not. And I think, I think of someone like Mark Driscoll, who led a megachurch in Seattle called Mars Hill. He had thousands of people following his leadership who were happy to follow him until all of a sudden it kind of hit us out of nowhere. His church shut down and he fell from his pedestal of leadership. So we, when we see these supposedly great leaders fall from leadership, it kind of should cause us to stop for a minute and, and maybe ask a question. Maybe ask, what actually makes a leader worth following? Is it their education? Is it their ability to teach or to preach? Is it their experience in leadership roles? I mean, these are the things that we look at on a resume when we would be maybe hiring for a leadership position. But what we're going to see today, what the Bible says, is what, is what the Bible says is important in leadership. So welcome here to Mount Olive. My name is David. I'm the worship pastor here. So I only preach about once a year. <laughs> so this is that one time. So you landed right on the perfect Sunday for that. Um, but yeah, we've been in a series on First Peter for the last couple of months, I guess, at this point. And today marks a pretty monumental day. We're entering the last chapter of this series of the, of the book of First, First Peter. That's chapter 5. Um, and so as a recap, up to this point, First Peter is a letter that the apostle Peter wrote. Um, and this letter was distributed to a number of different churches, different communities of believers across Asia Minor. And this letter that he wrote, um, it, well, so we've actually titled this series Steadfast, uh, based off of the purpose for the letter that he wrote, which he says at the very end of chapter five, he says, I've written to you briefly, um, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. And then he says, stand fast in it or remain steadfast in the true grace of God. And as we saw last week, if you were here with us last week, we saw that these believers were facing a lot of persecution in, in Asia Minor, and um, maybe there was temptation to not remain steadfast in the true grace of God. But Peter reminds them, last week we saw he reminds them that the faithful creator is coming to judge. And he says that this judgment is actually going to begin with the family of God. That's the church, that's you and that's me. And so from that point, he kind of makes this logical leap then, where we find ourselves in chapter five, he makes this leap to then address the family of God. And he starts with, to the elders, he writes. And that's where we find ourselves today, is this address to the elders of these churches. And um, because, well, let me just first kind of explain what an elder is, because I think that's going to be really important for our discussion today. But an elder at least in this context, is used, that term is used interchangeably with overseer and with shepherd, and shepherd is where we get the term pastor from. And so these elders were the ones leading, they were teaching, they were offering administration or care or oversight of these churches. And so in the face of opposition and persecution, Peter's writing to these elders to stand fast in the true grace of God and what that might look like. And he writes to them, for what it looks like to be leaders worth following. And because today's passage is very much addressed to leaders, to church leadership, 
um, it's going to naturally be a lot more applicable to those who are in those positions or maybe thinking about going into those positions. However, this letter would have been read to the entire assembly of the church. It was read to both leaders and followers, and I think it's important for all of us to understand the implications of a text like this. Not so we can try to tear down our leaders, but rather so that we might understand the calling that God has placed on their lives and to pray better for them. And I think even that the term leadership, it has been defined as influence over others. And if we take that definition, leadership is influence. Every one of us has the opportunity to have spiritual leadership or influence with others. You know, Pastor Alvin has often used this phrase, sphere of influence, to refer to the 8 or 15, and 8 to 15 group of people in your life that you have influence over, whether that's your kids, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. We all have a sphere of people that we have influence with. And um, so that means that every one of us has the opportunity to exercise spiritual leadership, spiritual influence with, with those in our sphere of influence. And so while this passage is directly addressed to church leadership in, a, in an indirect way, a lot of these principles can still be applied to those of us who have opportunity to have spiritual influence with those around us. And if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that's, that's okay too, because you'll still hear a picture of what leadership in the church should look like and what a leader worth following looks like. And so we're going to jump in with verse 1 of chapter 5. You can follow along in your Bibles. I'll have it on the screen as well. Peter says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So Peter begins with this appeal to the elders, and an appeal is a serious or urgent request that you're making of somebody. And so he's basically saying, don't take this lightly. This is, this is urgent. This is serious. And he says this appeal based on three things. I appeal as a fellow elder, meaning I understand the temptations and the joys that come with the role of an elder. He says, I appeal as a witness of Christ's sufferings, meaning he can appeal to them to endure the suffering that they currently are experiencing because of the example of Jesus. And third, he says he appeals as one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Just as Jesus suffered and was then glorified and exalted, so too those who suffer for bearing the name of Jesus can rest in the promise that they also will share in the glory that is to be revealed. And he goes on with his actual, the meat of his address to the elders. He starts by this general statement that he says, he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. And I think that that piece of serve as overseers is really the, the main part of this passage to the elders. That's the main piece of his address to the elders is serve as an overseer. And I love the imagery of what that actually means because to serve is to put yourself under somebody, whereas to have oversight is to actually be over somebody. So how do you put yourself under those that you're actually over? And I think it's a really nice picture of leadership, but it's really hard to live out just as much as our brains struggle to understand what that would look like. And the way I see it, there is this line that leaders need to walk, where on one side there's pride, and you allow pride to take hold, and you fall into arrogance and self-dependency and um, maybe abuse of your power. 
But on the other side, you fall into this kind of bad version of humility where you put yourself down and you think less of yourself and you maybe minimize in your own mind your influence and your authority. C.S. Lewis actually has a really interesting definition of humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I, I always like these little play on words. <laughs> I feel like they catch you a little bit more. But humility is all about closing the gap between people. And bad humility does that by thinking less of yourself, bringing yourself down. Whereas good humility actually lifts others up. It thinks less of yourself and thinks of others more. So serving as an overseer is all about walking a line that is between bad pride and bad humility. As an overseer, you are called not to lord your authority over those you are over, but rather to humbly put yourself under others, not by thinking less of yourself, but thinking of others more and of yourself less. And so Peter calls these elders to serve as overseers, but he also uses this metaphor of shepherding, which if you've read through the Bible, you've probably encountered this metaphor dozens of times throughout the Bible, and it's always used to refer to the relationship between a leader and followers. And primarily, though, this imagery, this metaphor, speaks of God as our shepherd and us as his people, as his followers. And it's a, it's a picture of leadership that cares for and tends for the needs of those that they lead. And so Peter says, serve as overseers of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. And he continues with some more specific instructions for these elders. He says, serve as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. No one should be pressured or, um, into accepting or staying in a church leadership role that they don't actually want to have. And when I was thinking about that, I'm like, in what situation would I find myself ever in where I feel like I have to do this? Because it kind of seemed kind of odd to us that why would I ever feel like I have to do this? But like, when I started to think about it, I realized it's actually quite a few reasons why you feel like you must serve in a leadership role. And I kind of see it as broken down into two categories of pressures, like inward pressures or outward pressures. The inward pressures being the things inside of us, like our own emotions, our own pride, our own fear of what others might think of us if we leave our role. Whereas outward pressures are the things outside of us, like family, that maybe puts a pressure on you to enter ministry, even, even if they're not meaning to. Or finances, you know, if you're already in a position where you're getting paid for it, that's your source of income. You might feel like you can't leave because that's your source of income. In any of these cases, though, Peter says, the reason we ought to serve is not because of outward or inward pressures that make us feel like we have to lead, but instead the reason ought to be out of a sense of desire and willingness. And honestly, when I think about that, doing anything out of compulsion leads to bitterness, leads to frustration, Whereas the way that God desires for us to lead his way is a way of joy and contentment. In the last chapter of John's gospel, Jesus is talking with Peter, the guy who wrote this, and he asks them a question. He says, do you love me? And Peter says, of course, you know that I love you. And Jesus replies by saying, feed my sheep. 
And he repeats this three times. He keeps asking Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter just gets more and more annoyed as he answers, yes, of course, you know that I love you. And Jesus keeps restating, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. The motivation to feed Jesus' sheep wasn't because he said, I told you to. It was phrased as a question, do you love me? It's then kind of implied, if you love me, then feed my sheep. The role of shepherding God's flock ought to be from a response of love for our Lord and our Savior. It should never be a sense of obligation or duty, rather out of a willing heart and a love for Jesus who desires for us to be willing. So if you come back to this question that I asked at the beginning, what makes a leader worth following? I think the first thing Peter would say in this passage is that a leader worth following leads out of love. They lead first and foremost out of a love for Jesus, who calls leaders to take care of the flock he has placed under their care. But then from that comes a love for those those whom you serve. And I feel like I have to kind of make a bit of a qualifying statement here too, because sometimes leaders may feel as if they are operating more out of compulsion than willingness. I think that's often what happens when burnout occurs in pastors. And I think this is one of the ways that the enemy works to bring down our church leaders. And I don't know who I'd be speaking to right now in this moment, but if you ever find yourself in that kind of position, I think what this makes clear to me is that our motives need to be evaluated. Are you leading because you love Jesus and you love those whom he has called you to serve? Or are there other inward or outward pressures that are causing you to lead? And as followers in this church, when we read this, we can't simply discard it and say, well, that's not applicable to me. I'm not an elder. I'm not a church leader. No, we can't discard it because as followers, we have the ability to help our leaders. And you know how we can help them? By following them. And I'm not saying blindly follow them. I'm saying with discretion and discernment through prayer. But, I mean, could you imagine the kind of church if we would be if Alvin gave a sermon and then challenged us with something at the end of that sermon and then we went and did it? That would be pretty crazy, right? (laughs) I'm not trying to like pass off any guilt or anything, but just trying to emphasize following leadership is important and and it honors the leadership. I mean, one example is is Alvin has, has called us to pray for four people. Well, first of all, consider your sphere of influence, those eight to 15, and then pray for four of those. And then open the, or, and then make it more conversations, is what he says, which are conversations where you talk more than just about the weather, but actually about things that matter. And then open the door to your home, share a meal with them, get to know them more. I mean, if we all did that, our church would look so, so different. So, one of the ways that we can support leadership is to submit to the authority that God has given them. And I know, I'm sorry, I put those words in a sentence together. I know Alvin did that earlier in the series, submit and authority. Those should never go together in the same sentence. Um, And I'm not talking about submitting to corrupt church leaders who abuse their power. Because as we'll see in a bit, the kind of leader that I'm talking about is one who is actually worth following. And so he goes on to say, so lead out of love. And then he says, serve as overseers, not greedy for money but eager to serve. The ESV translates this as not for shameful gain, but eagerly. 
In other words, they shouldn't be motivated by what they can get, but rather by what they can give. And it's interesting that the contrast there, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, the, sh the contrast isn't not for shameful gain, but for honest gain, because in, in those, both those cases, the motivation is still gain. And while working honestly for your wages is good and it's right, the reality is that greed and selfish interest are always right on the doorstep of human hearts. And so Peter, to avoid, to guard against this possible temptation, he takes the contrast one step further, and he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. A leader worth following is one who's not motivated by what they can get, but by what they can give as they serve those that they oversee. And a few weeks ago, Peter, in this letter, was writing about gifts. And he kind of assumes we all have gifts. And he says to use those gifts to serve others and to glorify God. And if you've been placed in a position of leadership over others, this principle absolutely still applies. We are still called to use our gifts to serve others and to glorify God. So Peter continues, serve as overseers, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Pride leads to an excessive use of authority. It leads to arrogance and selfish leadership. But Peter calls these elders to instead live as an example to the flock. Don't stand over people entrusted to you, demanding actions, but instead be an example by showing them the actions that you want to see in them. And it was kind of funny because I was going over my message a bit last night and I was kind of on my own for the evening. Ellen was in the city doing some stuff and, and I, so I was with the kids and when dad's cooking supper, it means we're just gonna go to A&W. So, <laughs> so we go through the drive-through and I order my burger and fries and then I'm ordering my kids packs and they're like, do you want fries or apple slices? I'm like, they should probably eat apple slices. <laughs> I know, right? Shame on me. That's not a, what kind of parent am I? But so I give them apple slices and then they ask for the drink and I give them milk because that's the healthy option. And then we get back to my house and I'm eating my burger and fries and I feel all of a sudden super guilty for ordering <laughs> apple slices for my kids. <laughs> especially in the context of this message that I'm supposed to live as an example to those that I lead. Uh, but I don't know about you, but it actually feels really uncomfortable and prideful even to say to someone, do as I do. Right? I mean, but it was actually really common in early Christian churches for, leader, for um, leaders to act in such a way that, that people would imitate them and to call people to imitate their own lives because we actually read from Paul, he says that quite a lot in his letters to the churches to imitate his example. And even sometimes when I read that, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of like icky because we're supposed to follow Jesus' example, not these human examples. But what this tells me is that those in leadership positions within the church need to realize that the requirement to live a life worthy of imitation isn't actually optional. It's a major part of the job. And I know that that sounds like an impossible challenge because it kind of is <laughs> to live as a perfect example in every way. However, but when we look at the example of Paul and of Timothy and Titus and Peter 
I mean, we've, we've already kind of covered all the mistakes that he, Peter did in his life. But they, they were far from perfect, but they didn't have to be perfect in order to be examples to the flock. Sometimes the example that we give is living rightly, of living as Jesus would live. But other times the example that we give is one of doing the right thing after living wrongly. Sometimes the example is one of having humility to acknowledge our mistakes. And this is a lesson that maybe starts sometimes with the elders, but it's for the purpose that others might imitate that as well and follow their leadership in that way. When I came to this point, I kind of started to think about our vision as a church because it kind of resonated with this point that our vision is to be a real and authentic church for all people. And um, we believe that when we let go of pride and humbly submit ourselves to our Lord and are honest about our weaknesses, God's strength and his grace become the focus of our church to the glory of God. So he says, live as examples, doing everything you can in your life to live like Jesus would live. Train yourself in spiritual disciplines. Immerse yourself in God's word. Spend time daily with the Lord. But when you mess up, be an example of humility to acknowledge your mistakes and ask for forgiveness. You know, there is right now a growing shortage of pastors in North America. And, you know, many churches are operating leaderless and they're struggling to find someone willing to step into that position. And I wonder if part of the problem is the pedestal that we put leaders, church leaders on. You know, we elevate them as superior humans that must have their life more figured out than the rest of us. Because, after all, they're supposed to be perfect examples in every way, right? (laughs) No. And don't hear me wrong, I'm not trying to excuse the sins of church leaders. Um... I'm simply just trying to close the gap between pastors and missionaries and church leaders and everyone else. Because even as I make those distinguishing statements about those two groups, I'm already like kind of going against myself because the reality is that church leaders have spiritual influence with others, but so does everybody else. We all live within a sphere of influence, a group of people in which we have the potential to influence. And the moment that we start widening that gap between pastors and church leaders and missionaries and everyone else is the moment that we start disqualifying more and more people who have such potential to lead and to be amazing leaders. You know, Martin Luther, this is a quote you've probably heard before, but God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. That means he can use you and he can use me as crooked and as messy as we are to accomplish his purpose and his will. All we need is to be humble and allow God to draw the line. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, 1, he says, here is a trust, well, here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. And if you're here today, and I don't know who I might be speaking to right now, but if you're here today and you feel like God is maybe calling you into a position of leadership, Know that, yes, there is a standard of living that God calls you to, but also know that it is a noble task that you set your heart on. And God can use any one of us. And I want to just restate that because I think that's really important. People are maybe like, well, that doesn't apply to me, right? No, God can use any one of us 
regardless of how messy we are, to further his kingdom and to bring glory to his name. So Peter ends this section by saying, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. When we ask this question, what makes a leader worth following? I think it would be a really, really smart idea to look to the example of someone who's given the name chief shepherd. I mean, this name doesn't exist anywhere else in scripture. It's the first and only time where Jesus is given the name chief shepherd. And I think it's really applicable and and understandable that it would be used in this context of speaking to elders and referring to them as shepherds for Peter to once again look to the example of Jesus in leadership and attribute him this name, chief shepherd, the leader of leaders. And there is so much in the life of Jesus that I could talk about as an example of leadership, such as his integrity, his willingness to help others who couldn't help him back, his willingness to be misunderstood and to do the right thing, even if it wasn't the popular thing. But where Peter ends up turning to is a character trait that he calls not just leaders, but also everyone else to put on this character trait. And I do have to kind of go outside of my designated passage for this because I was given verse 1 to 4, but I have to just kind of add a little bit of 5 in there as well because I I think it's really applicable. Because actually, this is addressed to the elders. As we'll see next week, he kind of makes this address to who he calls the young men. And then he has this statement where he says, all of you, that's leaders and followers, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride is one of the greatest pitfalls of leaders. And you've probably heard it said, pride goes before the fall, or pride goeth before the fall. I think that's how it's supposed to go, right? Um, Humility, though, on the other hand, is actually one of the marks of a leader worth following. And Jesus, as the chief shepherd, modeled for us what humility looks like. If we, there's a famous, a, a really well-known passage in Philippians, Philippians 2. It's known as the Christ hymn, and it speaks of humility, and it's a call for us to imitate the example of Jesus' own humility. So I want to read that in the context of this idea of humility in leadership. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus willingly took on the very nature of a servant. He didn't abuse his power, his equality with God, but instead he lived as an example of obedience and humility, which was ultimately the way of truth and of life. And Paul says, have that same mindset as Christ Jesus, one of humility, of valuing others 
above yourselves and not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And so it says all of you, we're all called to clothe ourselves with humility. So in what ways today might you be struggling with pride? The opposite of humility. I think pride often, we may think of it more narrow-mindedly than it actually is because it can manifest itself in so many ways in our lives. So I just kind of wanted to rattle out a few questions that might help your own mind discern where am I struggling right now with pride? Do you find it hard to accept criticism? How often are you willing to consider the benefit of somebody else over yourself? Do you find yourself pretending that you're doing well when internally you are not? Do you struggle with jealousy? Are you content with what you have or do you feel like you deserve more? Are you fake with people because you're concerned about people thinking negatively about you? Well, the challenge for every one of us today is to clothe ourselves with humility. I like the imagery of even of just clothing yourself with humility. It's like this daily act of actually putting on this clothing of humility. And the only way that I really actually know how to do that, because that sounds kind of complicated, right? But the only way I know how to do that is to look to the example of Jesus. So if we ask this question, what makes a leader worth following? Well, it isn't solely based on education or experience or skill. It's primarily based in the character of the leader. So I think you can have a really gifted speaker, a really gifted preacher, who's also at the same time just a terrible person. <laughs> I don't think that makes a great leader. I think primarily the foundation has to be the character of the leader. And Peter calls these elders to lead out of love. He calls them to be motivated um, by what they can give as they serve those who he has placed under their care. And he calls them to be an example to the flock rather than lording over them their authority. But behind all of these things is this posture of humility. Jesus is the chief shepherd, the one who is our perfect example in leadership and one who is ultimately worthy of being followed. And so may you go this week following Jesus and imitating the posture that he took, a posture of humility in our relations, relationships towards one another, of thinking of the needs of others above ourselves. And let's follow Jesus' leadership in bringing the gospel, the good news, to our world by each of us bringing the gospel into your world, your sphere of influence. And so let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the example that you gave in yourself. You took, you, you were the highest you could ever be and you humbled yourself to the lowest you could ever be. And so Lord, we want to follow you in that example of humility. Would you give us the strength to do that in our relationships with one another? Would you help our leaders to do that well as well? And would you please work in our hearts this week to expose the areas where pride may have set in? Even if we're not aware of it, Lord, would you just expose those things that we need to be working on to humbly submit before you our weakness so that your strength can become our strength? And we thank you today also for the leadership that you've given us. And Alvin, as he's away on vacation, would you bless him during this time? But thank you for this leadership that you have gifted us with. And would you bless 
them, bless him, and would you give us as his followers an understanding of how we can come alongside and be a blessing to him as well. And so Lord, we just pray your blessing over the ministry of this church and of the church as a whole as we work together to bring your gospel into our world. And so Lord, we thank you and we praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.